Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in for the Hootsard Huddle podcast presented by HootsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fam. You are now inside the huddle. Bringing in Michael Hotard back here for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. I am beyond excited to be back doing the pod. It's been about two months since I last recorded an episode. A lot has been happening that has prevented me from doing most things Hotard Huddle, as I've kind of talked about in the intros on some of my blog posts as of late. But Thrilled to be back, and I have an awesome episode planned. So last year, actually around the same time, I did a Q&A episode where I went on social media, asked for people to ask any questions. They can pertain to anything, sports, lifestyle, politics, the whole nine, anything they want to ask, just fire away, and I would answer them on the episode. So I'll be doing that again, but before I get into the episode, here is a message from my awesome sponsor. Hi, I'm Michael Hotard, creator of the Hotard Huddle and host of this awesome pod. In today's world of disinformation and misinformation, what if I told you there's an easy way to be informed about where you spend your money? Cluey Consumer. Download Cluey Consumer in the App Store or visit their website, clueyconsumer.com. Cluey can help you be an informed and conscious consumer. The app allows you to search for brands that you buy from every single day. The best part, it's totally free. The creators of Cluey Consumer hope to one day cover every purchase and every social, environmental, and political impact of those purchases. For example, my family frequently shops at Publix. With Cluey, I know that 73% of Publix political ad campaign spending goes to Republicans. The app doesn't have bias. It doesn't tell you how or where to purchase goods from. It just allows you to see exactly where that dollar could be going. Download Cluey Consumer today for free and become a more informed consumer. That's Cluey Consumer, C-L-U-E-Y Consumer. And again, totally free in the App Store. For more information, visit CluyConsumer.com. As I said, I'm super excited to be back doing another episode. It's episode 43. 43 awesome episodes have been recorded of the Hotard Huddle Pod, and I'm excited to keep that train rolling, even though there was a little bit of a hiatus. No big deal. But uh, as I said in the intro of today's episode, I'm doing a Q&A, but before I get into that Q&A, uh, just kind of wanted to take the time to talk about some of the things that have been happening uh, that have prevented me from really diving into Hotard Huddle the way I have for really the last year and a half. I mean, I have been going strong with this for almost a year and a half now, and um, a lot of progress has been made. I did the end of the year recap, talking about the number of hits um, from hits, followers, the whole nine. Um, things have been going well, so I appreciate everyone who takes the time to read, follow, interact, subscribe, whatever the case may be. 
I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all the questions delivered for this episode. I got some really good ones that I'm excited to answer, Uh, plenty of them dealing with some of the things that have happened recently in the sporting world. Of course, this started as a sports blog, so naturally, people ask for my takes on some of the things happening in the sports world, like the name-image-likeness rule that just got passed for the NCAA. I'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, among some other things, but really I wanted to start this episode before answering any of those questions. Life has been interesting as of late, um, and it's been interesting in a good way. I recently found a new job. I've been at the job for a little over a month now. There was a training period where I was literally gone for two weeks, and that job I actually got is a site manager for an escape room um, under a blanket of ownership that spans across several locations. It was a great opportunity. I sort of talked my way into it. I saw the posting on Indeed after the previous job I held, which I thought had some potential, kind of went south. So I applied, reached out, talked my way into the interview, eventually got the job, and wow, I am thrilled to be in the position I'm in right now um, from a financial standpoint, from a job that I enjoy standpoint. You know, it has been probably six years since both me and my wife have held a job we both enjoy at the same time. And it is a good feeling. It is good things happening right now. But that has taken up a lot of my time. My family has been super supportive of that. My wife has been an absolute rock star throughout it. Um, when I told her I would be gone for two weeks for the training of it, she was like, all right, well, cool. Like, you know, um, if it's if it's a step you want to take, basically take it. So I did. And um, there's been some fun and interesting things that have taken place within the first uh, month or so of the position. But I work for great people. Uh, I work with great people. And first and foremost, it's a lot of fun. I've really found a niche within the small business sector. Because previously, since moving to Atlanta in October, I've held two jobs. So this is my third job since moving in October, which is uncharacteristic of me because I graduated in 2013. Prior to this, I only held three jobs. So just in that short time span, I've held another three. So I've doubled the total number of jobs I've held since graduating. You know, one didn't last very long. It was seven months. Then I held a job for four years, which I loved And then I held another job for two years, which was, of course, my marketing company that I often talked about on the blog. And then once I moved, we pretty much cut out the marketing company myself as well as the two really good friends that I have that were running it with me. We made the collective decision to just pretty much scrap it. It became more of a burden than anything, and... In the middle of the pandemic, it just wasn't sustainable, especially since our niche was small businesses. But going back to what I said, that is where I've really hit my stride. So since moving to Atlanta, I worked for two larger scale companies, neither of which were a good fit for me. I didn't – 
The first one I just didn't enjoy altogether. I was unhappy. I took a pay cut for the second one with hopes of uh, moving up in short time like we had talked about during my interview process. That did not happen. And there were just certain aspects of that company that uh, philosophically didn't align with me. You know, when I interviewed for the promotion, one of the questions I got asked during that interview process was, would I rather a team of people who can sell or would I rather a team of people who provide excellent customer service? My answer was the latter because I can teach someone how to sell something. I can't teach someone how to care about people. And that's something I believe. I didn't just say that to say it. No, it's something I believe. And unfortunately, that didn't align with the company values, which you can put two and two together and know what I'm saying here. It's it's greed. They care about one thing and one thing only. That was money. And of course I care about money. But in business, you take shortcuts, you're going to lose in the long run. You're going to lose more in the long run. And I was fortunate enough to find this job with uh, managing an escape room with, like I said, fantastic, fantastic leaders that are part of this company. I enjoy their company. I enjoy working with them. And it's been quite the ride. So for the first time in really since moving uh, career-wise for me, it's looking up. My wife and I both have jobs we love. Uh, We're actually in the process of purchasing a home very soon here. So another big step that we were able to make as a result of me taking this job. Um, You know, my wife accepted a a very nice pay raise moving here. I unfortunately took a pay cut. um, And in that first job, I took a substantial pay cut. And because I was unhappy, I was willing to take an even bigger pay cut in that second job in hopes of being promoted in short order, which of course did not happen. So here we are, good things happening, big moves about to be made. I'm excited to be in this phase of looking for homes. Uh, Still got a little bit of ground to make up here, but I am excited. And that's really why Hotard Huddle is sort of taking a backseat just life has happened but life happening has been a good thing for the last month or so so it's been a lot of fun but now that we're into the thick of it let's just dive into this q a i am thrilled about it um i have some great questions uh from the sports arena from the lifestyle for entertainment political and social issues um so I'm going to go ahead and start with, well, what started this blog in the first place, and that is the arena of sports. Uh, I had a handful of questions that are a lot of fun, so let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Um, so the first question uh, in sports that someone asked was, should the best players in the NBA need to play in the Olympics Or should we get stuck with clowns like Draymond Green representing the country? I don't know that it's necessarily a need that NBA players should force any of their their people to play in the Olympics. I mean, obviously, you want your best players on the floor. But at the end of the day, I actually think having 
not not having dream teams basically compete is probably better just because you can see the wide range of talents uh, that spans across the NBA. And, I mean, when you look at it, you know, North America, or really the U.S., has just an absolute stranglehold on the world of basketball. Now, of course, we, we have European guys like Luka, uh, Luka Doncic, and, um, you know, back then, you know, the Pau Gasols of the world, things like that. Of course, they've there have been great international stars, but collectively as a team, it's second to none, and that's why the U.S. can field guys that aren't named, you know, LeBron James and Steph Curry, and still not only compete and win, but just blow most of the competition out the water. So, honestly, I'm okay with it. Um... Because I like seeing some of the guys like Draymond Green, um, you know, be the focal point of these rosters. Now, I'm not saying Draymond Green is. It's just the example used in the question itself. But um, I'd have to go back and look. I know KD's on that roster. Um, I believe Dame is, uh, Damian Lillard, which he is one of the most exciting guys in the NBA. He's one of my favorite players. I love his tenacity. I love the way he carries himself on the court. He is so much fun. Um, one of the clips I was actually watching the other day of Dame was uh, last season when they were competing in the bubble. And I think he had just hit a big shot. And he's walking up the court. And you just see him put some respect on my fucking name. He's just he's tenacious. I love it. So... Having guys like that be the focal point of the Olympics, I think, is huge. Um, and I also think it, like I said, shows the wide range of talent in the NBA. So I'm going to go with, no, the best players should not be forced to compete. The next question I had was, with the success of LSU baseball and popular support of the sport in general, why hasn't Baton Rouge gotten a pro baseball team? And it's kind of funny because I actually had multiple questions about this, um, mainly regarding Major League Baseball. So I'll tie another one into this um, that someone asked, and that's, do I think New Orleans will ever get a Major League Baseball team? And my answer, plain and simple, no. You know, of course, we can sit here and talk about how great Baton Rouge and New Orleans are for, you know, the people who are local to those two cities. But at the end of the day, you can scream all you want. They're not sports towns. They're just not. Aside from the Saints, New Orleans doesn't give a shit about anything else. That's why the Zephyrs moved. They couldn't get anybody in the seats. And they were constantly jumping between... Uh, franchises, you know, I believe they were affiliated with the Yankees at one point, maybe, or maybe not the Yankees, I know the Mets, um, the Nationals, I believe, and I forgot what other franchises they were once affiliated with, but the Zephyrs hopped around a lot with affiliation, and I feel like that has something to do with the lack of support, um, and of course, LSU baseball is very popular, but again, it's LSU, People in Louisiana love LSU. I don't think that necessarily corresponds to baseball in general. Because, again, look at the Zephyrs. So, um, I mean, I don't think they'll ever get a a professional baseball team, nor should they. 
Uh, they they just don't have the capacity to support it. Even the Saints. I mean, I'm I'm genuinely curious to see what happens if the Saints start falling flat again, because if we go back prior to Katrina, there was talk about them potentially moving before they had the resurgence with the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era. Um, and I don't know if that necessarily had to do with fan support, but they weren't always top notch and fan attendance they were very much middle of the road and sometimes bottom out but i uh you know i i think saints because of that super bowl and because of breeze and peyton have bought themselves probably a couple of decades even if they suck but at the end of the day there's just a lot to do uh in the city of new orleans and with baton rouge going back to the original question of why hasn't baton rouge gotten a pro baseball team well, you got LSU, and then if you want to go to New Orleans, well, it's not that far. So I just think there's a lot to do in Louisiana. Um, and that kind of segues into the next question. What's the future status of the Pelicans in New Orleans? Well, uncertain, to say the least. I think the Hornets slash Pelicans have been mishandled and mangled in a monumental way. You don't get to have three transcendent stars back to back to back and have nothing to show for it and keep sweeping that under the rug. They're just not successful. They went from Chris Paul to Anthony Davis to now Zion. And there's talk that Zion uh, is unhappy here and big fucking surprise. What else is new? So, uh, I don't know what the future of basketball is in New Orleans. I don't. And for me personally, move them. Move. New Orleans has nothing to show for their basketball franchise here. And again, it goes back to what I said. Aside from the Saints, no one cares. No one cares. Um, You know, one of the things that I think a lot of Saints fans say about the city I currently live in uh, with Atlanta being a front-runner market. And it is, 100%. It is. They care more about college teams in Atlanta than they do, or in Georgia, in the entire state. They care more about college teams than they do professional teams. And I don't think it's quite the same capacity as New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Louisiana in general, but I think there's some truth to that in Louisiana as well. Um. But if I had to guess, I mean, unless they figure this shit out quickly, I don't think the Pelicans are going to be in New Orleans much longer. Um, There's plenty of cities like Seattle who could use a basketball team and who can actually adequately support a basketball team. So um, it's going to be interesting. One of the things I do want to bring up before I move on to the next sports question here is... The idea of small markets. I was recently going through one of my old columns that I wrote. I believe it was 2020. I believe I wrote it in 2020. It might have been 2019. But we hear this argument that gets crafted so often about small market teams in the NBA. And people of New Orleans like to use that as an excuse for why the Pelicans can't field anybody or get bigger stars. It's not because you're a small market. It's because your fucking franchise is inadequate. No one wants to come to a loser. You lose too much. You can't get enough wins. It has nothing to do with the small market. 
The San Antonio Spurs dominated the NBA landscape for two fucking decades. That's a small market. Utah Jazz. It's not a very big market, but they've had success. And it's funny because six of the smaller markets, I believe it's six, are in the Western Conference, none of which are very bad franchises. They've actually been some of the most successful in the last two decades. So uh, Memphis is another one. They've had their runs. They've had their playoff success. Now, have they had a title? No, but they've had success in the playoffs. And they've gotten to the playoffs. Um, So I think that's a poor, pathetic excuse. And anyone listening who disagrees, feel free to message me. If you at me, I'll send you that fucking column, and I guarantee you won't have a response to it. Because I'm right. And you haven't done the research, probably. I have. So, yeah, as far as future status of Pelicans in New Orleans, again, uncertain. And then going over right across the street to the Superdome. So one of the big questions facing the Saints, and I got to ask, what's my thoughts on the QB situation for the Saints? Is it a long or short-term situation or a long or short-term solution? Uh, to be determined. And I know I'm using vague answers here, but it's a it's a weird time in New Orleans sports. Uh, Saints are in a transitional period, I think, unless they have their answer with Jameis Winston. And for the record, it's not fucking Taysom Hill. I'll tell you that right now. And anyone who's on the Taysom Hill train, you're a fucking idiot. Just watch him play. He's going to get killed if he is ever the full-time starter. He will get killed. He didn't have any healthy... He had, I believe, one full healthy season at BYU in the five years he was there. He's too reckless. He's a great football player. But you don't want that guy as your starting quarterback. He doesn't have a good arm. He sucks at reading the field. And he's not a long-term solution. Sure, he's exciting, but he's not a long-term solution. Then you have Jameis Winston. Now, I'm curious to see what he looks like. Um, You know, everyone likes to reference the, the 30 interceptions. But no one wants to talk about the... The system he was in. And that's Bruce Arians. Now, of course, Tom Brady had success in it and won a Super Bowl because he's Tom fucking Brady. But if you look across some of the quarterbacks in the first year in that system, in Bruce Arians' system, when you talk about his system, you're throwing the ball downfield. You're pushing the envelope. Jameis, in that season, I think his average air yards per attempt was close to 11 yards, which means he's throwing beyond the chains regularly. That's a dangerous game to play, especially for a guy with a strong arm who can be a bit erratic with his accuracy. So you look at some of the other quarterbacks in their first year. Peyton Manning had his highest interception total uh, as a rookie with Bruce Arians. Carson Palmer had one of his worst turnover seasons with Bruce Arians, and that was after he was established as a great quarterback. Now Ben Roethlisberger had uh, had success in his first season with Arians. Uh, That was the year, I believe, he went 32 touchdowns, 11 picks, and I think the Steelers, I think they went to the Super Bowl that year. I can't remember if they won, but nonetheless, it's kind of hit or miss. You know, when you're 
when you play reckless football, reckless things are going to happen. Turnovers are going to happen. So I think Jameis deserves a fair shake here. Um, I was excited when they signed him. I don't know if he's the long-term solution, but I, I'd much rather take a shot with him and see what you have. So, again, long or short-term solution to be determined. Uh, keeping with the NFL... This was another question that I've actually talked about. The person that asked this question is one of my best friends. Uh, my buddy Ryan asked this. When will the NFL commit to more advanced goal line technology? So one of the things I shit on him for regularly is baseball. Because baseball just fails to adapt. But this is the one thing he has on football that he has a right to gripe about. And that's the NFL not using goal line technology you look across all sports you look at uh soccer or football um and they have the the plane technology to where if there's a ball that's scored or looks like it's been scored they have the technology to see where that ball actually hit if it did in fact cross the line if it was a goal with baseball they have the things like the K-Zone, the pitch trackers, um, you know, the the trajectory of the balls. There, There's a lot of technology that's used in baseball, actually, which is ironic considering how archaic and dinosaur that sport in general is. So golf, another interesting thing. Like, I, like I'm enamored with the fact that they have technology to track a drive because if I go on the course or I go to a driving range – I lose my ball so fucking much. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, and if I'm watching someone else hit, I lose it constantly. So the fact that there's technology across all these sports, I, I'm I'm with my buddy on this. They need to figure this out because there's so many close plays at the goal line. Now, I don't think you can do it every play because I think you'll start highlighting spotting errors with the officials when it's an imperfect game to officiate, just like baseball, if you're calling balls and strikes behind the plate. It's tough. So, that being said, I think it should be used on goal line, like he's sort of alluding to here, because when you get a running back that's running it in from the one-yard line and then he runs into a pile of people, with that technology, you can see, Okay, so-and-so crossed the plane. There's things they could do, chips on the ball, different things like that. Maybe they've experiment with, experimented with it. I don't know, but, yeah, I mean, they need to make a hard commitment to this because you can't have ball spot errors on the goal line. So uh, I'm with uh, my buddy on this tenfold. I, I don't know when they commit to it, but they need to. They've been needing to. The next up... Um, Going back to college football, which, again, uh, there's a lot of changes right now. So one of the questions asked is, will the 12-team playoff be the death of lame bowl games? Uh, I don't think so. I I think there are still there is still so much money to be made on all these bowl games that I don't think it really matters. Um. You know, there's a significant economic impact for every single one of these bowl games that these, even these insignificant ones, so to speak, bring in. So I don't think it'll be the death of it. I don't think it really affects it at all, to be honest. 
So I'm going to go with a hard no on that. And then that brings us into another question about college sports. How will the name, image, likeness rule affect college athletics? And are FCS schools now at a disadvantage? Now, for those who don't know FCS and FBS, um, FCS is your um, smaller Division One schools for football. Um, that's going to be schools like I went to, like like Nichols, um, like your North Dakota States, uh, which has become sort of in the limelight with Carson Wentz, Trey Lance, etc. Um, so will those schools be at a disadvantage? And again, I don't think so. I think this has minimal impact on the NCAA and how it's played more so than it just does on these athletes. And for the record, I am all for these athletes making money off their name, image, and likeness. I just saw a recent um, column about NCAA football, so that game is making its return, which I think I can speak for a lot of people here when I say I'm fucking excited about that. You know, how will they pay out athletes? They're trying to figure that out. EA's trying to work that. And I think that's good. I think that's a very good thing. Um, One of the points that got brought up about the name image likeness is, okay, how many lawsuits does this lead to for tax evasion down there? Or not lawsuits, excuse me. uh, Convictions does this lead to for tax evasion? And... That's a fair question. That's something that's going to have to be monitored. Um, And I don't know if the NCAA is responsible for taking the steps to ensure that these things don't happen. But you're talking about giving money to young kids. Now, I'm all for it. uh, But I think that could be a potential blowback to the entire thing. Um, But that being said, even if that is a potential blowback, the NCAA is robbing a lot of these kids of a lot of money that they can make potentially life-changing money that they can make while they're in school. So I don't think it's right that you basically sign, <coughs> sign away your name. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the rule. And as far as it affecting the NCAA in general, I don't know that it really affects it. Um, I think after these kids leave school, maybe they get hit with tax evasion. But that's about it. Next up was NBA. Who will win the NBA Finals this year? Well, as of now, uh, we still have the Eastern Conference Finals going on with the Bucks up 3-2, to two, I believe. And the Suns are already in it. For all intents and purposes, I'm trying to take my own emotional thoughts out of the equation because if it were up to me, I'd really love to see the Bucks win it. I'm a big fan of Giannis. And I think it would be cool to see the resurgence of a big man bringing a team to a title because the NBA now is built from the outside in. And you go back 15, 20 years, it was the opposite. It was built from the inside out. So it would be cool to see the focal point of the roster being the big. So um, I also just really like Giannis. I I like his competitive spirit. I like that he's... Uh, pledged his loyalty to Milwaukee and committed to them being successful. So I hope it happens. Uh, But my prediction, I think the Suns um, will eventually go on to win. Uh, Cue the classic Suns in four joke. Uh, Not really. I don't know that it happens in four. But that was probably the best thing to come out of the playoffs. That video was 
unfreaking believable. So I'll go with the Suns, but I also think that's a real feel good story. For as much as I despise Chris Paul, I think he's a little shit bag. But Monty Williams winning would be awesome. Um, especially given what he went through losing his wife uh, not that long ago. It was a couple of years ago. He also was a longtime coach in New Orleans, obviously. Unfortunately, you know, the Hornets and Slash Pelicans didn't perform under his leadership. Um, I think he was gone before they became the Pels. I'm not 100% sure. But nonetheless, him and Chris Paul winning would be the ultimate fuck you to New Orleans. So that would be pretty funny. And then on top of that, Devin Booker's freaking awesome. Um, and something else I saw the other day. So Larry Fitzgerald obviously has ownership. That, of course, being... Um, Long-time NFL receiver, and in my opinion, the fourth-best receiver to ever play the game. Um, he has ownership, so him getting an NBA ring would be pretty freaking sweet, too. So, I, I mean, I think the Suns go on to win it, and I think that'll be a cool story. So, I'll, I'll say the Suns. Um, now, uh, that brings us into someone who's already been eliminated. Someone asked, how do I feel about playoff P? And... My answer is, oh, Playoff P actually exists. I know he had a good run this year, and I know he's had a good run before. But what? He's got two really good playoff runs in his entire career. I think the whole Playoff P thing can be buried at this point. Um, and it, it's no indictment on him. Like, I saw... I've seen people coming out of the woolwork to defend him and saying, like, oh, he doesn't deserve all this criticism. Well, yeah, he does because he hasn't performed in the playoffs more often than not, overwhelmingly more often than not. Um, so the criticism's fair, and it's not an indictment on Paul George. Like, I doubt anyone will sit here and be like, oh, you know who's a real piece of shit? Paul George. No. He just hasn't performed in the playoffs. He's still a good player. He's still a commodity to have, but he's he's not great. He's not. And in the playoffs, he has shit the bed more often than not. So as far as playoff P goes, it doesn't exist. We need to cut it out with that bullshit. The next question I had about another NBA player is one that I actually despise. And obviously, this was a troll job at me, but explain why KD is your favorite player of all time and why he is the GOAT. Oh, this was from my buddy Justin, I believe. So my response to that is get fucked. I'm not even answering that stupidity. But uh, going back to New Orleans, um, you know, a, a very simple question. Do the Saints make the playoffs? That's tough. That's really tough. I'm not sure. Now, I know we get an extra playoff team this year in the NFL. I think Tampa's going to run away with the division. They're returning all their starters. It, it seems like money in the bank for that bet. So I'll go with Tampa winning the division. But I'm interested. I'm really interested to see what happens with um, Atlanta, actually, this year. Because having Arthur... Um, Arthur Smith, I think, is going to be a good coaching change. You get an offensive mind in there for an offense that more often than not has just been garbage time firepower. They're flat for three and a half quarters, and then all of a sudden they explode. And that's why they're always a good fantasy offense, but they don't win a lot of games. Um, so I'm curious to see what the new... 
um, offensive game plan can do, uh, especially since they got Kyle Pitts, Mike Davis. I'm curious to see what those guys look like uh, with Atlanta, and I think that offense could potentially be very dangerous. And as bad as their defense is, I mean, if they're scoring 35 a game, it's not really going to matter. So um, it's tough. The NFC is really tough to call this year. I mean, aside from Tampa Bay, Seattle, I don't know who's in the who's going to be in the playoffs. I think it's a real toss up. But for all intents and purposes, um, I don't think the Saints are going to going to be dominant. I don't think they'll be looked at as a Super Bowl contender. But I'll go ahead and say yes, they'll make the playoffs, and I think they'll be um, maybe a sixth or seventh seed. But I'll, I'll say they make it in. And then going back to the Saints, is Alvin Kamara a bigger threat with a QB who can throw downfield? That's actually a really good question. Um, and in short, yes. He can do a lot of things in space. One of the things I, I love most about his game is his ability to make the first guy miss. You know, even during his down year two years ago, um, he actually led the league... I believe in, it was a super crazy nerd head analytical stat. Um, But it was something along the lines of like after first contact or something like that. He led the league in one category that was just kind of mind numbing considering the criticism he got. And it's just because he's so shifty. He can make the first guy miss and he always manages to get forward and get those extra yards. Even if it's two or three, those add up over time. And that will help move the chain. So having a QB that can throw down fields, I think it's going to open it up not just for him, but for that entire offense. I think Michael Thomas has been suppressed. I think pretty much the entire offense has been suppressed by Drew Brees' lack of ability to get the ball downfield. So um, if Jameis Winston can even be remotely accurate... And this goes back to what I said. Everyone likes to point to the that one season in Tampa where he threw 30 picks. You know, prior to that, he was a 16-interception quarterback. If he can keep those interceptions down under 16-17 and be who he was prior to that really awful season, I think that offense can potentially be dangerous, and I think Alvin Kamara will obviously be a big part of that, especially in the receiving game, because if you got guys running downfield that you have to account for, well, now they're playing with or given Alvin Kamara that extra space, and that's a dangerous game to play. Um, keeping it with New Orleans sports, uh, do Pels go all in on a star to put next to Zion? If so, do they land a Bradley Beal, or do I dare dream that Dame gets discontent once out? If Dame gets discontent once out, he ain't coming to New Orleans, so you can pretty much put that dream to bed. Uh, Bradley Beal, possibly, but I just I don't think so. I don't think anyone wants to play in New Orleans. This goes back to what I said. They don't win enough. And no matter who's been here, they don't win. So, no. I think I think the Zion era is as good as dead at this point. Maybe I'm eating my words in a year, but it's what I believe. It's what I think. It's, it's the same story that I've seen repeat itself over and over again. And then my last question for sports, and this is one I'm I'm super excited for, and that's why I saved it for my last sports question. Um, actually, one of my old buddies from college that I used to uh, play intramurals with. Um, this is a really good question uh, from 
my buddy Taylor, um, what is the Mount Rushmore of U.S. soccer? And he followed it up with, is it all women? And I've had a couple of days to kind of stew on this um, because I think you can't have a Mount Rushmore of U.S. soccer without Michelle Akers, Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach. So three-fourths of them are undoubtedly women. And then I was kind of torn between a couple of people for that last spot. Um, he had actually brought up Carly Lloyd. Um, Carly Lloyd's been great, but I don't know that she could get the nod. The three I was really contemplating over is actually, obviously, Landon Donovan. Um, Tim Howard was another one. And Megan Rapino. And I, I try my best to take emotion out of it because Megan Rapino is probably my favorite U.S. soccer player of all time. Um, I'm a big, I've always been a big fan of the U.S. women's national team. Um, I've written about this. It's because I had two older sisters that played soccer. That's what I grew up on. I loved watching the World Cups. I still remember um, watching the World Cup where Brandy Chastain rips off the shirt. Huge controversial incident where she was in a sports bra. They're celebrating. I remember Mia Hamm. I don't really remember Michelle Akers too much. But nonetheless, um, it, it's really hard just because the U.S. women's national team has been so successful in in World Cups, in the Olympics. So it's hard to overlook that. Uh, but that being said, um, I, I mean... Tim Howard, I just saw, obviously, the, recently was the anniversary of, I believe it was the 16 saves uh, during a World Cup, by, I believe, group match. Um, Tim Howard's been a long-time goalie for, for the U.S. He was great. Landon Donovan was another one who pushed the U.S. to new heights on the international front um, in men's uh, soccer. So... Taking my emotion out of it as much as I want to say Megan Rapino, and I think it's super, super close. And I'm I feel like I'm eating my words and it it pains me to say, but Landon Donovan, I think, would be the fourth on the Mount Rushmore. Now, obviously the US is starting to have um a little bit of a uh surgence in men's soccer. Um Christian Pulisic, who's playing for Chelsea, I believe, still, if I'm not mistaken on that. So there there could potentially be some uh, dethroning going on. But as of now, my Mount Rushmore, Michelle Akers, Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, and Landon Donovan. Um, and that does it for the sports section. So now I will dive into some lifestyle. My first question for lifestyle was completely random, but I sure as shit do miss these. Uh, but my buddy Kyle had asked, what is my favorite type of po' boy? Now, this doesn't mean favorite restaurant to get them. He just asked for my favorite type. And for me, oh, that's a toss-up. Um, I really love a good shrimp po' boy, but I'm such a sucker for catfish. I love catfish. So I will go with a catfish po' boy. And, in fact, um, you know, one of my favorite places uh, to actually go get po' boys from, like when I was uh, – in Metairie, or just on the run, just somewhere that I love to go, uh, was Pyrans. I I used to enjoy going to that place, um, and just snagging a gold po' boy. They had a really good catfish po' boy, but uh, I'll go with that catfish po' boy for the win. Now, this was a good question, one that I'm I, I I'm really excited to answer. 
And this really talks about my career. Um, and in terms of my career, would I do anything differently or potentially stick with being a journalist? Work politics aside, would you write for a local column or even a national service like uh, Bleacher Report or ESPN? So first and foremost, to answer that first question, would I have done anything differently or potentially stick with journalism? I am glad to be out of journalism entirely because with journalism, the pay sucks and you basically have to sell your soul to make ends meet in a lot of ways. Um, something something breaking happens. You have to be willing to get out of bed at 3 a.m. and figure out, get the scoop, whatever the case may be. And it's just not something that I think I would have enjoyed long-term, especially someone like me who wanted a family quickly. Um, you know, you look at some of the local journalists and they have kids very late in life, and it's because it takes a while to get settled into that career. And there's nothing wrong with it, but... It's uh, it's a tough, tough mold to break. Um, so would I have done anything differently? Yes. I think I would have chosen a different degree. Um, I think teaching might have been an option. Uh, one of the th- one of the industries that I think would have been really cool to get into. I don't know that I would have made it through schooling for this uh, because I was never a diligent student. Um, school was always. Uh, tougher for me. I just didn't have the motivation or ambition in a, uh, in a lot of situations and a lot of times. But uh, chiropractic would have been a really cool field to get in. So um, chiropractic would have probably been, if I didn't go into teaching, probably that would be a cool career path for me. Um, but to the second part of that question, uh, what I wrote, would I write for a local column or even a national service like Bleacher Report or ESPN? As much as I'd love to say no, um, but I would. Um, you know, I, I wrote for um, a publication called Buyer Report last year. I did that for a couple of months. Um, then it sort of fizzled out again. I just got busy. Um, but I did that. Uh, so it would have to be the right situation. Uh, but I can tell you with, like, Bleacher Report or ESPN, if there was any suppression of creativity or how I write, then No. Uh, because one of the things, one of the only reasons I was okay with doing buy your report, and it was it was cool, um, was because I had full freedom of what I wrote. You know, the the publisher was perfectly fine with me using colorful language, perfectly fine with me being who I was. So it would have to be the perfect situation. But when you're talking about ESPN, Bleacher Report, things like that, I just don't know that you get that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it it depends. Now, you know, one of the things I've really been proud of is Hotard Huddle. I've been doing this for six years, and I've enjoyed it. It's It's really helped me keep sanity and also just develop my skills as a writer i like that i can just write what i want when i want how i want i like being in control that was a feeling i didn't have writing for somebody else and that somebody else being the first job i had out of school it was miserable i hated it so i enjoy having say in my creativity 
So if there was a situation that arose where I could keep my own creativity and do things as I see fit, then yes. <laughs> this is this is random and it's from the person it came from. No surprise there. Do I think jorts will make a comeback in our lifetime? They already have. And I'll give you a hint. You can't see this person. And his name is John Cena. But do I think they'll make a comeback on on the mainstream? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We know we know how uh, odd it is when fashion trends start making a comeback. But maybe. Maybe. Jorts are cool. I'd fucking rock jorts. Now we're getting in, now we're gonna get into some shit talk from some of the people in my fantasy league. Um, who might I add, you can all go fuck yourselves. But one question is, how confident are you that you will be the Sacco again in fantasy football? Uh, it's not gonna happen. First of all, I'm not the reigning Sacco anymore. Um, and second of all, won't happen. That was an aberration. Now, I've been sucking. But not sucking that bad. So, I'm confident that this guy will not be Sacco. Because at the end of the day, I've had more injuries than anyone in the fucking league. And I'll take that to the bank. And I've still managed to not be Sacco. So, fuck you guys. Um, then a follow-up question from someone else. How does it feel to have an awful record in our league? I don't have a good record. I don't. It sucks. Uh, if there's something I hate, it's losing. But if there's something I hate more, it's losing to the jackasses that I'm in the league with. Um, so, yeah, it's not fun. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, another question for Lifestyle. Did you turn magnetic after getting your shot? Answer, no, but that microchip has been bothering me a little bit. Uh, it's caused some arm soreness. But aside from that, I'm okay, you know. Um, the government's been tracking me. It's It's okay, though perfectly fine um you know as long as we're protected right and uh you know anti-vaxxers and all they're 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 really really great people there's nothing i love more than an anti-vaxxer um so yeah I, I i didn't turn magnetic but you know some side effects caused from the from the microchip and the last one why is atlanta better than new orleans well you know, it's it's this question I actually get quite a bit. You know, it's funny because I'll tell people I moved from New Orleans, and I'm like, oh, really? Like, what brought you here? Um, so first and foremost, this is a city that my wife fell in love with um, when she did an internship here. She lived here for almost a year, and... When I'd visit, I, I really enjoyed myself here. It was always a city that just felt like it w could be home for me. Um, and I know she felt that way too because she absolutely loved it here. So we always kind of talked about it and was like, well, if the opportunity ever presented itself, why not? And that brought us here. The opportunity presented itself. But why is it better? The one thing I tell people all the time, it's so much better to raise kids here. The school systems are better in Georgia. I can still live on the outskirts of Atlanta, be in a great school system, and also go to a city that has a lot to offer. Even the outskirts of the city. I love that I can just drive, you know, literally 25 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, 
go to a creek that's a lot of fun um and that's that's line creek which is right near my work in peachtree city and i love that i can take my kids there for a, a you know a day at the creek that's fun there's a lot of great hiking spots um i recently did stone mountain um it was the first time i hiked stone mountain um that was a lot of fun there's just so much to do the city just has so much to offer um so many fun things to do like one of the things we're actually talking about doing is doing camping at stone mountain they have a little campground so it's it's just a lot of a lot of fun i always felt like we were looking for stuff to do as a family with kids in new orleans and just didn't find anything appealing to us so i like that there's always something to do um so and on top of that, one of the things I love about Atlanta is the amount of sports teams that are here. You have the Atlanta Braves. You have the Hawks. Even if I want to catch an NFL game, this is not saying I'm a Falcons fan, but I like that I have the option. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Atlanta United. So just plenty to do. So, yeah, better city overall in my opinion. Moving on to the entertainment Q&A section of the podcast. Um, first up, uh, the first two questions actually pertain to wrestling, which are pretty creative, pretty fun. Um, the first actually pertains to Batista. Uh, for those who don't know, Batista, a uh, longtime Evolution member, now actor, um, made a comeback in uh, WWE a couple of years back to reform Evolution and compete against the Shield. But uh, someone asked if Batista did his patented Batista bomb on every pothole in New Orleans, how long would he be bombing? Well, first and foremost, his Batista bomb setup takes an ungodly amount of time. So you have to account for that. But on a rough estimate, I would say about 12 years. So I'll go with that. Uh, another wrestling question uh, under the belt of entertainment. Who would win in a cage match at WrestleMania? LaToya, the Destroyer Cantrell, or Bill Cosby? Um, LaToya in four. Easy. That's an easy win. No question about it. And then... Uh, Continuing along with entertainment, these are some pretty fun questions. I'm really excited about these. Um, Someone asked, what is the one movie or show you hear others talk about that you have yet to see? The first one that comes to mind is Peaky Blinders. I have not watched a single episode of it. The people who have told me it is a must-watch um, are very passionate about that, but it's just something I haven't sat down and watched yet. And, you know, I talk about this all the time in the blog, on podcast. I'm always late to shows. I never start them on time. Um, I'm always several years behind the curve, like The Office. I did not watch The Office until about three years ago when I finally watched it all the way through. I watched it twice. Same thing with Game of Thrones. I didn't watch a single episode until the release date was announced for the final season. Uh, And again, I watched it all the way through twice leading up to that uh, final season. So there's just a lot of shows that I, I am very behind on. I don't watch initially. I give them a few seasons and then I just binge them and try to get through them. Plus, I hate the whole waiting game in between shows. 
just because I I get lost. Like, for example, I love the show Better Call Saul. I'm not caught up on it at all um, because there was, it felt like it was over a year in between one of the seasons, and I just forgot everything that happened. So for me, I, I just like waiting until I have a lot to watch um, at one time instead of taking it season by season. So, uh, but for me, that show would probably be Peaky Blinders. The next question is who wins a Disney villain battle royale and why? That's, that's tough. That's a really tough question. For all intents and purposes, my, one of my favorite villains is Gaston. And I'd love to say him, you know, just pure brute strength, a lot of charisma, very cunning. But it's hard to really say he would win when you have so many Disney villains who ultimately have magical powers, different things like that come into play. Um, But ultimately, a Disney villain battle royale, I mean... Whew, that's rough. If I had to pick one, I think I the first one that really pops into my head is Maleficent. Um, and part of that I think comes from the fact that uh, Maleficent gained popularity with the standalone film about her backstory and everything. So um, between that, the magic, um, it's just a very powerful villain. So I will say. Maleficent, even though I don't think it's one of the better Disney villains, I wouldn't have um, her in my top five. So, but I'll go with her because if if we're talking just full on all out war between the villains, that that just stands out to me as the one who would probably be declared the winner. Um, another one, maybe Hades. Um, so it's crazy because again. All the ones that I personally love, Jafar, uh, Scar, Gaston, I, I don't see them being winners in that. Um, and out of the ones that I love, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Scar just because he has an army of hyenas, or at least did until we all know how that ended. So, um, But yeah, I'll go with Maleficent. Another great question. So one of the things that I have really loved in recent years in terms of movies uh, being turned into TV shows. So Game Changers, Mighty Ducks, um, Cobra Kai. You know, the Mighty Ducks was one of my favorite series of movies growing up. In fact, that trilogy, um, I did a top 40 movie countdown and I kind of cheated and put all three lumped together. But, you know, it's my blog. I do what I want. It's my fourth favorite, we'll say, series of movies of all time. You know, um, you know, my top three: Godfather, Goodwill Hunting, Breakfast Club, and The Mighty Ducks rounds that off. And again, I lump three together, but it's all it's all linear. It's all one story, so to speak. Um, and it's hard for me to pick between them. So, um, with Game Changers, I'm. I was thrilled with how well done it was. Um, I love that they gave the little uh, hits of nostalgia, um, s- similar to the way Cobra Kai did it. So, and Karate Kid was another one that I loved um, growing up. So, uh, someone had asked who I often talk about 
a lot of these um, really like 90s, uh, 80s, 90s movies and things like that being sort of reborn, if you will, with spinoffs. Um, someone asked, predict a nostalgic movie or TV show that will suck us in like Mighty Ducks or Cobra Kai. Um, and I believe this person made mention of um, heavyweights uh, and a couple other things. But um, as far as other nostalgic movies, TV shows, um, it's kind of crazy because Mighty Ducks was always the one that I just said I would love to see a good spinoff with it. And that sort of happened. So that kind of took away that one. Um, one that I think would be a lot of fun. I don't think it would gain a lot of traction, but only because it's the person who asked this, um, you know, we have a funny inside joke about it, but, uh, the little giants with Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis, I think that would be really cool. Um, I think that would be, um, a, a good spinoff or a sequel to have another one just kind of thinking about Rick Moranis um Spaceballs if they brought back Spaceballs now that would that would also be tough because um uh you know omitting characters like Barf um you can't you can't get someone to replace John Candy to play that role you just can't um but Rick Moranis uh playing Dark Helmet, uh, Lone Star being played by Bill Pullman, uh, Mel Brooks. I mean, Mel Brooks' movies are fantastic. So um, uh, Spaceballs would be pretty funny, but uh, uh, Little Giants is another one that pops in my head just because of the person who asked it. It'd be just funny to see, oh, where's Urbania now? Bring back the story, whatever happened between the O'Shea brothers. Um, So I'll go with those. Um, another one that I think would be, uh, a lot of fun would be Happy Gilmore. Uh, we recently, the internet sort of broke a little bit with, uh, Adam Sandler doing his patented Happy Gilmore golf swing, um, and recorded himself doing it, called out Shooter McGavin, um, played by Chris McDonald, and, he responded as shooter, um, in character, and it it was just awesome. So I would love to see a Happy Gilmore sequel, um, and I think a lot of people would just because that's two very iconic sports movie characters that people know and love. So I think those would be the three I'd like to see most: Little Giants, Spaceballs, and Happy Gilmore. Moving on to the final topic of the Q and A podcast is political slash social issues. Um, And the first question I had is, who dies in Space First, Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos? Um, So if you're not paying attention, if you're not following, um, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos are both uh, testing the waters with space exploration. Um, I believe I read that Branson is going to be the first one out of the two to go into space uh, by a couple of weeks, um, maybe a little less than two weeks, I think. I think I saw nine days. That's kind of sticking out to me. Um, But the two of them have dipped their toes in space exploration, so that kind of 
brought on that question by someone. So who dies first? Um, I mean, I feel like it's got to be the first one that goes. So I'll go with Richard Branson. Um, but that's a very morbid question, but kind of funny. Um, but I'll go with Richard Branson. And then, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos goes, learns from the mistakes. May go fucking alien up there. Who knows? But we'll see. Um, that's going to be interesting. Uh, you got two, obviously, two of the world's richest people uh, going to space, which is pretty unprecedented, I feel like. So we'll see what happens. But um, another question I got, was John McAfee murdered or did he commit suicide? So recently, uh, we all know the antivirus software, uh, McAfee. So there, um, John McAfee, the founder of it, uh, was found dead from an alleged suicide. Now, of course, anytime we hear about someone committing suicide in prison, um, we uh, people just sort of run with that. They start creating the conspiracy theories. Oh, did they actually kill themselves? Were they murdered? Um, for me, I think he did, in fact, commit suicide because there were reports um, that I saw that he attempted it several months back. Um, I'm not sure how far back, but I did read reports that McAfee had previously attempted to commit suicide. Um, not sure really what was going on there, so to speak, but, I mean, if there were incidents of the past where he attempted to, I feel like the writing's kind of on the wall there. I don't think that's too much of a question. Now, this is an interesting um, topic that was brought up by a friend of mine, um, and it is the John Str- or I'm sorry, the Kevin Strickland case. So, just to kind of catch you up to speed with the Kevin Strickland case, um, the question was. Basically, just my overall thoughts on it. So, Kevin Strickland has been in prison, I think it's for 40-something years. Um, he was convicted uh, in, I think, while he was still a teen, actually. Um, I'd have to go back and check the actual age that Kevin Strickland was convicted. But he's been in prison for 40 years. Um, now, just to kind of paint the facts of the case here, it is a black guy. Um, and he was convicted... Um, in 1978 for a triple murder. Now, prosecutors have recently come out and said that he is innocent, um, and he was convicted by an all-white jury, and it relied solely on the testimony of one person who has since walked back on, um, on her testimony. And even the other people who were convicted with him have gone back and said he had nothing to do with the case. So it's, you know, when we talk about uh, systemic racism, this is a classic case of it. It's not the first black guy who's been wrongly convicted and has spent an, you know, absurd amount of time in prison for something that the facts say he did not do, or at least the evidence says he did not do. And... It's sad. I mean, just I, just think about that. This guy has spent 40-plus years in prison for something he did not do. And they're, they're refusing to basically overturn and release him, um, which, which is absolutely ridiculous. 
And the problem is, too, there was no explanation for why they are choosing to not release him. Um, it's a case in Kansas City. Um, and the fact that they're just going to keep him behind bars without any sort of explanation on that when evidence says otherwise, it's absurd. It's sad. And it's not the first time we've seen something like this occur. Um, one of the stories that gained popularity, he actually, I believe, won an ESPY award. Um, I can't remember which one. I don't remember if it was Arthur Ashe Award for Courage or whatever the case may be. But uh, Dewey Bazella, it's another case of a black man being wrongly convicted. I believe he spent 18 years of his life behind bars because of that conviction. And basically he wrote to this firm every single day regarding his innocence and eventually they took on the case. Um, but that's so much time. I mean, it's 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 really sad to think that so many people, whether it's disproportionate convictions, whether it's um, disproportionate sentencing, whatever the case may be, are wasting away in prison cells when they shouldn't be. So... Um, my thoughts on it, the guy should be released, period. There's no evidence linking him to that. You have people walking, you have the only, only person that gave you any sort of testimony to convict him walking that back, and you have prosecutors determining that this case should not be a case. He should have walked, walked to begin with, um, but yet here we are 40 years later, so it's, it's sad. Um, the last question that I have before wrapping this up, uh, what's with the hate from gen generation Z to millennials, you know, from fashion digs to calling us chuggy. Uh, I even had to look up what that word means. So cue the jokes about being a millennial. Um, but this is an interesting conversation. And when it was asked, it brought on the idea to write about the generational gaps, generational values, because I will, I always find that to be a fascinating topic that, you know, people born in different generations, the values are vastly different. And I think about that all the time, especially um, with myself, my siblings, I'm the youngest of three. And I, I'd say I'm vastly different from the rest of my family. Um, my parents are a little bit older and that's not an indictment on any of them. We're just different. And I think that's okay. Um, but you know, as far as generation Z for millennials go, I think it's just the classic case of, oh, they're the older generation. They're the outdated generation. Let's just dig at them as much as humanly possible. Sort of the same way, um, millennials have done to boomers, to the baby boomers, but the, again, this brings up a very interesting topic in and of itself, one that I probably will write a column on at some point because, again, it's it's fascinating. You know, it's one of the things that I have often heard from a lot of the baby boomer generation, um, my parents included in, the, in this, and again, it's not an indictment, it's just stating the way they feel about things, and conversations that I have had with, you know, my parents and things like that. But one of the things I often hear is how the world is basically going to hell, how everything is going to the shits. And 
it didn't used to be this way. And the thing that I explain to a lot of these, um, a lot of people who are older, technology has moved, which means information has moved. I don't think the world is, I'm not going to say it's not different, but I don't think, you know, things like domestic violence and major issues, major societal issues have all of a sudden just become a major priority. I just think it was easier to hide those things back then. You know, when you t- when you go back and you watch old TV shows, when you go back and or or even talk to older people, you know, one of the things that I heard from a lot of uh, senior citizens when I was working in a gym would have conversations, and when you know I found out I was going to be a dad, oh, are you going to do this, this, this? Things like you know, changing diapers, feeding the baby, whatever the case may be, and they would always make comments like, oh, yeah, my wife handled all that. And things are just different, you know, Um, especially in terms of of gender roles, so to speak. You know, dads are now more involved in rearing and taking care of their children. Um, And women are looked as equals more so than they were in 1950. You know, you go back and watch these TV shows, there's a lot of very sexist jokes, a lot of very sexist content. And it's just, things are different. So when people say things like, oh, the world's going to hell, or it's so much worse than it was back then, no. The bad things are just highlighted more now because information flow is so much more free. So... Um, in terms of you know generational gaps, I was actually just having this conversation with a couple of young people recently that I work with. We were um, just kind of talking about uh, kind of this exact thing of you know our worry of when we get older, how are our children going to feel about us? And maybe I'm being a little ignorant or looking at this through rose-colored lenses here, but I think millennials have been exposed to so much change from technology to the political spectrum. There's been a lot of progression in the last 30, 35 years um, and a lot of adapting how you feel, what you think and all these um, and just growth, I feel like, for human existence. So I'm genuinely curious. I mean, one of the things that I firmly believe in, one of my favorite quotes is from Muhammad Ali when he said, a man who views the world uh, at 50 the same he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. And that's a quote that I just has always stood out to me because part of, I guess, human existence is growing, is adapting to what the world is becoming so now of course that doesn't mean just go with it like use use your logic use your your heart use your head use use the tools that you have to make informed decisions about what you're feeling but you know you got to be adaptable and so when this conversation got brought up about oh I worry about you know how are my kids going to feel about me am I going to eventually become for lack of a better term the old head Um, I hope I don't. I feel like, you know, I've changed so much even within the last 10 years. Um, 15 years is even more, you know, and that's that's essentially half my life. So 
I, I don't think the growth ever stops. I think we keep adapting. Now, of course, there's going to be generational pushback. I think that's just natural. Um, when you're younger, you look at older generations and you're just like, ah, yeah, you're outdated. Um, like the other day I got made fun of by someone because I mispronounced um, a famous celebrity. I'm a little embarrassed to admit what celebrity it was, but I mispronounced their name. So, you know, that's just going to come with the territory, I feel like. <laughs> I, I I had my first experience of getting made fun of in the same way I used to make fun of my dad when he'd mispronounced things. So um, it's it just comes with the territory, I guess, um, as far as pushback from generation to generation. So, But again... It's a good topic. That's a good question. That's something fun to explore um, and just break down when you actually just sit there and break down the different values of each generation. Um, a, a common difference, I think, between you know our generation, so what I mean by that, millennials and people that are really 35 and under, so to speak, uh, versus those who may be a little bit older is outspokenness in the workplace. You know, one of the things I often heard that I never really understood um, growing up was don't talk about politics and religion. And now you have a generation who's very outspoken about political affiliation, um, very outspoken about social issues. And I think that's important. I think conversations are important. And for older generations, it's kind of one of those hush-hush things. And I just don't feel that way. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can have honest relationships with people unless you're having honest conversations. And that includes politics. That includes religion. You know, I think if you have a friend who doesn't align with you politically, that doesn't mean you can't be friends. But if you just sweep that under the rug constantly don't talk about those things, then I just don't think you're truly embracing an honest relationship because these are things we all feel – I'm not going to say all because a lot of people just don't care to discuss the politics and that doesn't mean you have to. But if you're passionate about things that are political, if you're passionate about religion, if you're passionate about societal issues – you can't sweep those under the rug and have honest relationships with people who philosophically disagree with you. And just because you disagree doesn't mean you can't have a relationship. But if you're hiding those things, it's a dishonest relationship. So it's that question's just very interesting. I think it opens up a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, Pandora's box. But... As far as the hate from Generation Z to Millennials, I think it's just natural in the same way that Millennials kind of take their digs at the boomers. So, And I don't think that goes away at any point. But we're here to roll with the punches. And, uh, you know, if you make fun of my generation, well, I'm going to have fun making fun of your generation too. So that's kind of the way I feel about it. And uh, other than that, that wraps up all the questions for those who submitted their questions, uh, commented on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever you did. Uh, I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. It was. It feels good to finally record another podcast after two months. Um, it's been too long, to be honest. So, um, But for those who stayed with me throughout the time of me rambling about different things from entertainment to sports, politics, whatever the case may be, I appreciate you. And uh, as always, honor the huddle. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.